This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. I have a little quiz for you. If I ask you to conjure up in your mind an image of a saint, who would it be? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if you selected someone like Bernadette of Lourdes, St. Therese the Little Flower, or maybe in your mind you thought of someone holy like Mother Teresa or John Paul II, who are, of course, not yet canonized, but certainly fit the image. And that's a little of what I'd like to talk about today. I think many of us have our own preconceived view of a saint. I often quote Mother Angelica's frequent saying, we are all called to be saints. Most of us don't really fit that image, but there are many, many more people who do live lives very close to God, but they seldom make the headlines and often go unnoticed, at least to us. To live like saints, well, that's pretty hard to do in today's world where The materialistic needs of everyday life put us pretty far distant away from what God wants and expects of each of us. And you know, today and and this very moment, it becomes more difficult by the minute with everything to which we are exposed. We'll just pick up today's paper or any day's paper for that matter and you can see how we all flaunt God's commandments. And we have to look for the saints. They're rarely in the paper or on the radio or TV, but they are out there in every city and village quietly doing God's will. And they've been there down through the ages. Now, when we think of saints and holy people, I'll bet most of us have a holy card image of our favorite saint. But we forget that their day began with the sunrise, just like ours, and ended with the sunset or later. But during those hours between, there were opportunities. We all have them, and it's what we do with them that counts. And, well, that's what makes a saint. And the variety of saints who have served God's wishes through his commandments are as varied as the clouds in the sky or the pebbles on the beach. In God's infinite wisdom, I think he's showing us that all kinds of people are saints, and the gifts he has given them are not for them alone, but to get our attention. Well, sometimes we become so jaded, busy, and distracted by today's world that it's, it's really hard to get our attention. So God selects someone to whom he has given a special gift or charism to make us sit up and take notice, to remind us. And in this 21st century, with everything we see on the TV screen in our living rooms and the technical extravaganzas on the movie screens, well, it really becomes harder and harder to get our attention. And if you think it's hard to get our attention, Just imagine how hard it is to get the attention of our young people with their iPods, their video games, and instant messaging, to name just a few. Just perhaps that's why he gives to a few, to a very few carefully chosen individuals that extra special something, 
a gift to prove that he really exists and cares for us. Now, out of all the countless saints and holy persons on whom he has smiled, there is one I'd like to talk about, perhaps not as well known as many, but certainly one of the most unusual of God's gifts to us, whose life is every bit as fascinating as any TV series of today. He's known as Joseph of Cupertino, who is truly one of our most unusual saints, and he's our story for today. Born in 1603, he knew poverty firsthand, being born in a stable like Jesus Christ. And of course, being poor, he didn't have the opportunity of attending school to advance his learning. And there's a great deal of conjecture that even had he attended the schools of his day, well, he probably wouldn't have been a very good student. And yet today, he is the patron saint of students and pilots, those who fly. How did all of this come to pass if he was born back in the 1600s? Well, that's the story of St. Joseph of Cupertino. We don't know too much about his parents, other than his father was a carpenter who had a great empathy with others who, like himself, had practically nothing. And when his neighbors were being threatened because of their debts, he often assumed them himself rather than see them suffer. Young people learn by watching what good people do, and, well, you get the picture. And as the loans defaulted, Joseph's father had to seek sanctuary in a holy place rather than face imprisonment for the loans he assumed. And because of this, Joseph's mother had no place to go, and so she took refuge in a stable where Joseph was born. He was given the name Joseph Mary in honor of the Holy Family. As a boy, Joseph was an angry child, and when he acted up, his mother would take him to church. Surprisingly, the frequent trips to church became a source of great consolation to Joseph, and he would even build miniature altars in front of which he would recite litanies and pray the rosary. The growth of his IQ didn't seem to match his physical development. But at the age of eight, he seemed to experience his first ecstasy when the more advanced students practiced difficult religious songs, his books would fall to the floor and he would react by looking to heaven with his lips parted as though, well, silently glorifying God. This was certainly noticed by his classmates and they would tease him by calling him Bocha Aperta or open mouth. While still in his early years, Joseph developed severe and painful ulcers, which he bore with quiet acceptance, recognizing they were nothing compared to what Christ suffered on the cross. His only medication was the consolation he received by attending Holy Mass. His condition worsened so that he could no longer bear to walk and had to be carried church was so vital to him that he begged his mother to carry him to mass every day. All sorts of remedies and medications were tried, but none provided any relief. 
But one day, a holy man applied some oil from a lamp that had burned before an image of Our Lady of Grace, and Joseph was instantly relieved from all pain. Then, in gratitude, he used a cane to walk to church in Cupertino, a distance of about nine miles. And as the years passed and Joseph grew toward manhood, he started daily sacrifices. He abstained from meat and ate only vegetables and wore articles of clothing that were uncomfortable. He wanted to enter religious life, but his lack of education, his poverty, his poor health seemed like insurmountable barriers. But after many difficulties, he was finally accepted as a lay brother. However, everything he did seemed to go wrong. He even had difficulty telling wheat bread from rye bread. He would try to clean and do his various jobs, but he always seemed to break things. Haven't we all experienced a time when nothing went right? Well, so did Joseph. After a trial period of eight months, Joseph was sent back home. Most of us would probably have given up, but not Joseph. Later, through the perseverance of his mother and his own demeanor of piety, he was again admitted to the seminary, and, as usual, he trailed all those in his class by a wide margin, at least in books and on paper, perhaps. He stayed apart and lived a solitary life so as to pray almost constantly, and he slept on three boards, a bit of straw, and a well-worn piece of bearskin that was to be his bed for almost his entire life. Whenever he was chastised for his lack of knowledge, he readily admitted his shortcomings and would reply, Have patience with me, and you will acquire merit so he was permitted to remain in the seminary only because of his great virtue and the pious life he led. But then came the time for the final examinations administered by the superiors who came to test the young men as their final examination for the priesthood. This was sure to be Joseph's downfall. He was called forward and asked a question, which he answered with perfect clarity and accuracy, 100% right. But what the bishops did not know was that this was the only question he could answer. The bishop was so impressed by the group as a whole and their apparent universal knowledge that he accepted the entire group for their ordination as priests, and Joseph had responded with the only answer he knew, and they were ordained as a group. After his ordination, he returned to the monastery at Rotella and thanked the Blessed Virgin for the dignity of the priesthood. On touching the sacred host, he was seized with a terrible dread and fear that he was unworthy of such a sublime gift, and silently renewed his sacred vows, promising to die entirely to the world and live for God alone. To do this, he would leave the company of his priestly brothers and retire to a stable, 
or uncomfortable room in which he would live and offer his life entirely for the glory of God. That's not to say he was a hermit as much as he kept to himself rather than socially joining his peers in order to spend his days and nights worshiping God. However, he was ever obedient to his orders, subservient to his peers, and would kneel before a crucifix saying his own special prayer. He would say, Look upon me, Lord, I am divested of all things. Thou art my only good. I regard all else as a danger and ruin to my soul. Well, how often do we in the world of today think first of our souls? Maybe the answer is our gift from Father Joseph. He was aware of the evils in the world at that time, even as we know the evils of the world today. And he made a constant and unyielding effort to withdraw from them, so not to offend God or risk the loss of his soul. His fast and abstinence from meat continued, and he offered many sacrifices solely for the glory of God. His total existence was to please God and carry out the wishes of his superiors to the best of his ability. And as he lived his faith, God rewarded him with many special favors and charisms, some quite out of the ordinary, quite out of the ordinary. He had the gift of prophecy, by location, being in two places at the same time, healing through the power of God, much like Padre Pio and many other saints of the church. But he had another gift that was quite unusual. We might call it levitation for lack of a more definitive word, or perhaps more simply, flying. Let me tell you just a few stories about Joseph of Cupertino, and all of these stories have been verified by sworn statements from clerics, monks, priests, bishops, and just everyday people. For example, on one Christmas Eve, Joseph invited shepherds from the hills around the monastery in Italy to attend a special Christmas Eve service. He had heard them play their flutes and sing their songs, and he thought this would be a great gift to the Christ child on the eve of his birth. In the chapel, they sang and played beautifully, and Joseph sobbed with excessive joy at this tribute to the Christ child. But then something strange happened. Joseph, who was kneeling somewhere around the middle of the small church, suddenly rose in the air and seemed suspended from unseen hands, and then flew a distance of about 40 feet to the high altar, where he remained motionless for about a quarter of an hour suspended. Well, you could imagine the reaction to those in the church while Joseph remained oblivious to what he had done. Later in the year, the monks were in procession on the feast of St. Francis. Dressed in a surplice and wearing his priestly garb, Joseph knelt in deep prayer with his hands outstretched and, and suddenly flew in a kneeling position to the altar where he remained near the chalice, again suspended in the air. Now, 
as with the lives of any saints or holy persons, it's pretty obvious that in the short time allotted to us, it's almost impossible to touch on all the recorded and historical facts that comprise their lives. So it's necessary to extract just bits and pieces as illustrations of what they did and how they lived their lives as reminders to us of our primary responsibility to live our lives for the greater glory of God. And like so many of our great saints of the church, Joseph of Cupertino was also known for his absolute humility. During his lifetime, he was assigned to several communities, including the mother church of his order in Assisi, and his many charisms followed him wherever he was assigned. At the same time, his desire to serve God first, last, and always was the basis for living alone in the smallest and most barren rooms of the monastery, where in quiet solitude he would fast continuously, always placing God and the Blessed Mother first in his thoughts and devotions, where simplicity was one of his virtues. Before the crucifix, he would pray, Look upon me, Lord, I am divested of all things. Thou art my good. I regard all else a danger and ruin to my soul. He sees in the world the many dangers to his soul. Perhaps that prayer today to learn from him is more relevant than at any time in history. That's why the lives of the saints are so important to us. Well, as a result, his gifts and charisms were many and varied. And once in Naples, in the convent of the Sisters of St. Gregorio, while praying in the corner, he suddenly flew from his pew up through the air to the altar, where he remained with his arms outstretched, making himself in the form of a cross before the burning candles. The sisters watching all of this were terrified that he would catch on fire, but after completing his prayers, he flew back, circling his pew, singing to the glory of the Virgin Mary, and then quietly and unassumingly knelt in continued prayer in his pew. During his first visit to Rome, he went with his superior to an audience with Pope Urban VIII, and and bending in complete subservience to the pontiff, Joseph again rose in the air. Witnessing this, the Pope said that if Joseph were to die during his pontificate, he himself would bear witness to his miracle of flight. As I recounted earlier, he was the poorest of students and was always at the bottom of his class. Now, we must remember that there were certain members of the clergy who were recognized not only for their high academic achievement, but also their sanctity, and they would meet with Joseph and spend time with him discussing theology in its more abstract forms and come away saying of Joseph, he knows more than I do, or now I am learning a new and more excellent theology. It was also not uncommon for Joseph to be honored by heavenly visions, and it has been said of him that he had been visited by saints who spoke to him of paradise. 
Joseph never entered his cell without first inviting his guardian angel to precede him. Perhaps that's a reminder for us in this age of secularism that guardian angels do exist, just as angels exist. But it seems that we always demand proof. Perhaps it was because of Joseph's fathomless faith that he was privileged with the honor of glimpsing angels. And remember St. Pio of Pietrocina, Padre Pio, who did not speak or read Greek, but was given a printed text by one of his superiors, which was written in Greek. Now, Padre Pio translated the document perfectly, and when questioned how he knew it, he answered, My guardian angel explained it to me. Joseph also had the gift of bilocation, being in two places at the same time. For example, while he was living at the monastery in Assisi, his mother was ill in Capertino, and as the hour of her death approached, she voiced the desire to see her son one last time. And suddenly there was a bright light that appeared at her bedside, and she cried out with joy, "'Oh, my son!' And then she died. About the same time Joseph was entering the church in Assisi, when he was stopped by another priest inquiring as to Joseph's tears, to which he replied, My mother just died. On another occasion, when he was walking outdoors, he heard a priest remark, Father Joseph, oh, how beautiful God has made heaven. And upon hearing this, he flew up on an olive tree and remained there half an hour kneeling on a branch, and the branch swayed ever so lightly as nothing more than a small bird was sitting on the branch. As I said, more than 70 such flights were recorded, not counting those which occurred daily at Holy Mass. A pious and learned Jesuit had a meeting with Joseph and recorded this observation after his meeting. He is perfectly united to God, and his heart is more disposed to this union than powder is to be ignited by a single spark. Like Padre Pio, there was often the sweet aroma of sanctity emanating from his body, which was even more impressive considering the time he spent living in the stables. He had a great aversion to money, and when people wanted to donate money to him for the monastery, he would request that it be given to his superiors. When some individuals would come to see him, he would suggest that they go to confession first. When they seemed puzzled or said there was no need for them to confess, he would tell them of the mortal sins they had committed and sent them scurrying off to the confessional. If people were praying the litany or other prayers with him and their minds would wander, he would stop and suggest they bring their thoughts back to God. A very amazing miracle that was brought through his intercession at Capertino was the time that a flock of sheep had been killed by enormously large hailstorms during an unusually fierce Italian storm. The shepherd begged Joseph to help him, 
Well, Joseph hurried into the field, and as he approached each one of the dead animals, he raised them up one by one, praying, In the name of God, arise. And all of the animals arose. The shepherd was so amazed that he could not speak a word of thanks. In 1657, Joseph was sent to the monastery at Osimo, where he announced that he would be either the first or the second priest of his order to die there. He was the second. In August of 1663, he was seized with a great fever, and the severity of his sacrifices and personal offerings had so sapped his strength that he was barely able to move, but insisted on saying Mass. For five days, the fever raged so savagely that he was barely able to move, but rose each morning for Holy Mass in his private oratory. His last Mass was on the Feast of the Assumption, where deep in prayer he flew for the last time as he was lifted before the tabernacle a little closer to heaven. Then back on his bed of boards in his tiny room, he offered several prayers to his dear mother, as he called the Virgin Mary. And as he prayed, a sweet smile and a bright light seemed to enclose his body. He was taken home on September 18, 1663, at the age of 60. And following his death, many more miracles were attributed to his intercession, and they were in such numbers with so many verifiable witnesses that Pope Innocent XI set in motion the procedures to determine his cause for eventual canonization. And during this period, the necessary two miracles were approved. First, a man from Asimo had a chronic swelling on his right knee that he described as big as a loaf of bread, producing unbearable pain. Naturally, physicians were in attendance, and, and eventually they ruled out surgeries, and the doctors held no hope for a cure. This all happened shortly after the death of Joseph. Well, the sick man dragged himself to the church where Joseph was lying and stayed in the sacristy, and because of the crowds paying their last respects to Joseph, the crippled man was not able to go anywhere near Joseph's body as it lay in state. So he obtained permission to visit Joseph's room and the chapel where he pressed his knee to the spot where Joseph knelt and prayed, and the man was instantly and permanently cured, with the swelling immediately disappearing. And the second miracle that was accepted as miraculous concerned a child who had lost the sight of an eye as the result of a throne, a throne stone that had destroyed his cornea. The whole eye was crushed and, and pushed in the socket. Doctors, after examination, explained the eye could not be repaired or saved. The child's mother prayed for the intercession of Joseph and then took the child to Joseph's grave, imploring his help. The mother pressed the child's face to Joseph's tombstone, and the sight was immediately and permanently restored. On February 24, 1753, Joseph was beatified and the miracles continued, 
and in 1767, the child born in a stable and originally considered not very bright was declared a saint. Not because he flew, not just because of the wonders he worked, but because of the life he led of heroic virtue and his total dedication to the will of God and his service. As I mentioned, Mother Angelica says, we are all called to be saints. Yet, how many of us really try? This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.